Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Let's do this. Let's go to the book of Hebrews. Um, the book of Hebrews. Praise God. Hebrews chapter 1. You know, it's an exciting thing to serve Jesus. It's an exciting thing to serve Jesus, especially when, when we believe that the gospel is true and the things that happen in the books of, book of Acts are, today, are for today. And Jesus is the same and he hasn't changed and the Holy Ghost is the same. Then we have an exciting Christianity that lines up with the Bible. You know, I don't want a Christianity where we have a Bible and half of the things are not for today, for some reason, you know, because then who decides? I mean, who is high enough of a pay grade to decide what is in the Bible, what in the Bible is for today, and what in the Bible is not for today? And a Christianity where half of the things are not for today is just like Islam. I could have stayed a Muslim, you know. Equally exciting, at least in Islam we have suicide bombers, you know. There's, there's some excitement there, you know. Do you understand what I'm saying? No, nobody wants a boring Christianity. Nobody wants a dead Christianity. People in the world have not rejected Jesus. What they have rejected is dead religion. And often what the church has portrayed to the people is a dead religion. And the reason their religion is dead is because they don't have faith and you need a cover-up for your unbelief. And when you have unbelief, there's two things you can do. You can humble yourself before God and you can be, you know, we can be like the guy who said, Lord, help my unbelief, you know. We can be like him. We can be humble before God and acquire faith. But the other thing is to be proud about it and say, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. The problem is with God. He, he, he just ain't the same today, you know. He, he doesn't do the same things today and we can make up theological cover-ups and, and that's, that's unfortunately what, what people do. But let's go to Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1 is very interesting because the, the, the first chapter, it basically talks about the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and how, how great he is and how how much greater he is than the angels. And it's very, very important that we read every verse and kind of meditate on every verse to understand that because that is really the foundation of Christianity. Sometimes people think the foundation of Christianity is how great my faith is. No, it is our understanding of how great Jesus is. Because you can have great faith only if you have a great Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? If your Jesus is big, your faith will be big. If your Jesus is small, your faith, no matter how great you think it is, it will not do a lick of good because your faith is, you know, whatever it is because faith cannot create reality. Reality is what gives strength to faith. Amen? Amen? Muslims have a lot of faith. I mean, they believe that if they die, they go to heaven. When I went to jihad when I was 17 years old, I believed that. But does it make it true? Does the intensity of faith create reality? No, it doesn't. It is the object of your faith that gives power to your faith. You understand what I'm saying? And that's why Jesus said, you know, it's really if you have faith of a mustard seed. So that means you can have little faith in a great God. 
Hallelujah. You can move mountains. So that's the thing about faith. It is how big is your God. That's where it begins. And when you have a big God, then you can have big faith. You can grow in that faith in that big God. So here, Hebrews 11, he, he, he talks to us about how great Jesus is. He said, God who at sundry times, that means, I'm reading verse 1, who at different times and in different manners, diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. What he's saying is that through Human history, throughout the course of human history, God has spoken to our ancestors. You know, he's writing to the, to, uh, the Hebrew Christians. He, and what the writer is saying is that throughout history in times past, because when this book was written, you know, we, we live 6,000 years after Adam. At that time, it was about 4,000 years from Adam to Christ. So what he's saying in the past 4,000 years and through the 4,000 years of human history, God has spoken to our forefathers at different times and in different manners, and he did so through the messengers. The word is, uh, uh, you know, he spoke to us by the prophets. The word here used is angelos, which is also translated as angels, but it actually means those who have a message like messengers. God has spoken to our fathers through his prophets. So in other words, you had all these prophets who spoke the word of God. You had Noah, you had Abraham, you had uh, Isaac, Jacob, all, the, all these people, they, they spoke the word of God. You had Isaiah, you had Ezekiel, you had Daniel. All these were prophets sent by God for their time. And they spoke to our forefathers, to the prophets. But then it says here, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. That's the difference. God spoke to our forefathers through his prophets, but to us in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. And then he begins to explain who the son is and how much greater he is than the prophets. And the point is that the message that God spoke through his son is far greater than what he said through his prophets. That's what he's trying to say. That's what he's trying to get at. Now he tells us who the son is, how great the son is, because that is what gives the message of the son its power, is the inherent greatness of the son. Then he said about the son, verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory, Jesus Christ is the brightness of the glory of the Father and the express image of his person. That means the very person of God is seen in Jesus because Jesus is an express image, like a photocopy of the Father. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. In Colossians it said, for him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That means that the fullness of who the Father is, the fullness of who the Holy Spirit is, the fullness of who Jesus Christ is, dwells physically, is found physically in the person of Jesus Christ. So if you want to know who the Father is, if you want to know who the Holy Ghost is, and of course the Son, Jesus is the Son, all that dwells in its fullness in Jesus Christ. 
He is the total package. If you have him, you have the Father, you have the Son, you have the Holy Ghost. You got the Trinity. And that's why then the next, then, the, then it says, and you are complete in him. That means that if you have Jesus, you are total. You are complete because you have everything. You don't need anything more. Amen. So that's what he's saying. He's telling us that before God spoke to us through his angels, I mean through his prophets and through the angels, but now he's spoken to us through his son and and this is the greatness of his son. So you understand how powerful the message of that son is. And that son, he says, he's the brightness of the glory of the father. He's the express image of the person of God himself. And upholding all things by the word of his power. That means that Jesus, by the word that he speaks from his mouth, upholds all things. And that made, that made me realize how powerful this word is. And that word through which he upholds the whole universe is available to us in printed form so I can walk into any bookstore and I can buy it and I can get it from Amazon.com. It is that same word through which he created and sustained all things that is available to you and to me. So if you need a word from God, you don't need a prophet because God spoke to the prophets, but now he's speaking through his son and it is available to us right here. That's why Paul says that we have a word which is more sure than any word of prophecy. You understand? People run after prophecy. Oh, brother, do you have a prophecy for me? No, I don't. You got, you know, Genesis to Revelation. You got plenty of words there to carry you through life. Everything you need is right here. Amen? So this Jesus is so great that the whole universe when you when you stand outside in a dark night you starry night you see the stars you see you know you can see billions of miles away all those things he upholds those things by the words that go forth from his mouth jesus said in john 6 63 talking to the pharisees he says my words they are spirit and they are life it means the breath of God is in the word that I speak. That's the word ruach in Hebrew. It's, it's the breath of God, the life and the breath of God. My words carry the life of God. Hallelujah. Amen. So we, you know, we must, how do I put it? We must begin, come back to appreciating that which we have. Because only when we begin to appreciate, which because sometimes the word of God became, becomes so mundane because we have heard so many sermons, we read the same chapter again and again and it means nothing. And then, well, God, God, you said this, but this happened and you said if I pray, I will you will answer and then I prayed and nothing happened because, you know, we, what happens is that we try to measure God by our lives. So we become the, uni the center and the focus of the universe. I have my agenda, and I find a word to do that, because the word is, God says, whatever you ask for, I will give it to you. Okay, so it's me, I ask for, so it's all about me, you know. So I can make a list of what I want, you know, my immediate things that I want, and what I want with life at a bigger and, uh, you know, and, and lesser scale, and then I put that before. And so 
that is the yardstick by which I judge how true this word is and how true God is. And so we have a skewed understanding of Christianity. You've got to understand, firstly, the universe doesn't revolve around you and me. Hello. As much as I wish it did, but it doesn't. Right? Okay? Secondly, it's really about the will of God in your life flowing through you because you have a destiny. God has a will and a purpose for each one of us. That's why it's important not to have my agenda and ask God to bless it because my agenda is normally about earthly things and life on this earth and what I want. But you got to remember, you got, I did a funeral last week of someone on my team and she died when she was 43 years old. And, and I, you know, I said that, you know, this life is a drop in the bucket compared to the vastness of the ocean of eternity. And unless we live life with an eternal purpose, we will never fully understand life. Because then, then everything becomes about, about our comfort and our satisfaction in this life. And our comfort and satisfaction in this life has to do with what I own, what I have, how my circumstances are. But the Bible also tells us we came to this world with nothing and we will leave with nothing. So you can't really, you know, base your life and your faith off that. So the whole, so faith is about devotion. It is about surrendering your, surrendering your life to the purposes of God. And God, what is your purpose with my life? And you live that. And that's where you find joy. And that's where you exercise faith. Because suddenly your, the purpose of your life doesn't just have to do with this 60, 70, 80 years you have on this earth, but it is connected to eternity. Amen. Let us live our lives with an eternal perspective because it is only from that eternal perspective that, our, that we find the will and the purpose of God. And that's where faith works. Within the context, am I making sense? It works within the context of finding the will and the purposes of God. So, but that's why he's focusing on, on how great Jesus is. And when I read this, I do find out one thing, that he's much bigger than me. It's not about me. Amen. He upholds all things by the word of his power. And then it says, and when he had by himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty of high. And that is amazing because here is, here is somebody who is the brightness of the image of God and he is the, he is the uh, reflection or the express image of the person of God Almighty who is the creator of all things and he is the one who opened his mouth and when he opens his mouth, stuff happens, you know. Stuff is created. This great being, Jesus, he came to this earth and he purged me from my sins, not by just speaking his word, but by himself dying upon the cross, paying the price for me. That means, I mean, can, can you just imagine the amazing love of God? That this Jesus Christ who created all things, who, who sustains the universe with his word, he, 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 he looked at me, who was a sinner, who was less than nothing. 
I mean, you know, I'm just, a, excuse my crude language, I'm not even a piece of fly dropping on the surface of the earth. Sometimes we think we are so great, we are nothing. We are less than a speck of dirt. That's what we are in ourselves. But he saw some value in us. Why? Because the father created the speck of dirt in his own image. He saw that. When we don't see the image of God in ourselves, he sees it. And he says, I'm going to redeem them and I'm going to do it by dying for them on the cross. So this God who created all things, who is the uh, express image of the Father, he comes down, he, of all places, you know, he leaves his throne and he comes to this rotten earth, you know. And walks among these rotten people who reject him, crucify them. And he dies for our sins. He purged us. Purge means he's totally cleansed us from our sins that is the power of salvation that we have not just been that our sins have been covered but our sins have been purged by the blood of Jesus Jesus came to us and he cleansed us from the inside from our sins and after he had done so he ascended and sat down at the right hand of the father hallelujah you know this whole thing the plan of God how great Jesus is and redemption is a Totally mind-boggling. And then it says here, then it says, being so much greater than the angels as he by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Again, the word is angelos, which means messenger. So it could be angels, it could be prophets. But, but the point is that Jesus is so much greater than the angels, so much greater than the prophets. And as such, his name is much more excellent than theirs. That's why the name of Jesus is greater than the name of Abraham or Moses and it's greater than the name of Michael or Gabriel, the names of angels and prophets. The, you know, he has inherited an excellent name from the Father. Then it says here, for which unto the angels did he at any time say, that is the Father, you are my son, this day I have begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall to be, me, uh, be to me a son. And again when he bringeth the firstborn into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. Self-explanatory. When Jesus came to his world, he commanded the angels to worship him. And of the angels, he said, who makes his angels spirit, his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the son, he said, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Now, this is interesting, the oil of gladness. Now, people think that this means, you know, you go to a special service where people fall on the floor laughing and that's the oil of gladness. He's not talking about that. To be anointed with the oil of gladness is not a one-time laughter event. But it is living your life with a spirit of joy, knowing that you have been purged from your sins, that Jesus Christ is your Lord, and that the word of God is true, and that God has his hand on your life. That is being anointed with the oil of gladness rather than a one-time laughter event. 
and being depressed after that event is over so you can you long for the next event so you can experience the same thing no it is living a life of joy and that's a life of faith because your life your joy and your faith are because of who Jesus is and you know who he is and what he has done to you and what he is to you and that is what helps you to overcome every circumstance that's how you overcome anything that comes your way because you have a great God and you know that he's with you he's not against you amen because your life is found in his purposes and plans and you know it's okay. That's why the guy said, it is well, it is well with my soul. No matter what happens, it is going to be well and I am a winner, I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus and I'm going to make it and I'm going to make it and I'm going to make it no matter what, amen. And so it says that because Jesus loved righteousness and hated sin, Therefore, the Father anointed him with the oil of joy more than anybody else. And that's why I always say, Jesus was the happiest man who ever lived. Hallelujah. Can you imagine? I mean, you know, he couldn't, they needed money for the taxes, right? He didn't worry. The IRS would come after him, he'd go to jail because the Romans were big on taxes. If you couldn't pay the taxes, they would kill you. They had these tax collectors. Everybody hated them. What did Jesus do? He said to Peter, Peter, he said, go and, go, go, and, go and throw your line into the water and you'll catch a fish. And in the mouth of the fish, there'll, there'll be enough for your taxes and for mine. Hallelujah. Amen. He had the oil of gladness because he had faith in the unshakable love of his father. And then it says here, and thou, O Lord, in the beginning has laid the foundation of the earth. That is Jesus. Jesus laid the foundations of the earth. And heavens are the works of his hands. Can you imagine? Jesus created the universe. Not only just, just he just uphold the universe, but he created the universe. He created the heavens. They're the work of his hands. He says, but they shall perish, but you shall remain. And they shall Wax old as a garment, like clothes, new clothes. They become old. He says even the heavens become old, <coughs> like a garment. And as a vesture shall thou fold them up. A vesture is actually clothes, a dress. And they shall be changed. But you are the same and your years shall not fail. So you can, even the finest clothes that you buy, they go old. But you shall never change. Hallelujah. He never changes. Everything wears out and grows old. But he says, but your years remain the same. You never change because Jesus is still the same today as he was 2,000 years ago. Then it says here, but to which of the angels did he say at any time? Sit on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Are they not all ministering spirit sends to minister to them who shall be heirs of salvation. This, this is interesting. He says that Jesus didn't, I mean, God didn't say to the angels, sit on my right hand side and I put all things under your feet. He says, no. He said that to Jesus. But the angels, he made them servants to serve those 
who are heirs of salvation. Which means that angels are sent by God to serve us, to help us. Amen. Those are ministering angels. Ministering, to minister means to serve. Angels serve us. I can tell you many, many times when uh, uh, God has sent angels before me and, and, and prepared the way for me. I remember when uh, I was escaping from Pakistan and they were, uh, you know, the army and the police were after me and they had a hit out for me. They called it a shoot to kill order. And my own father, who was an army general, had given the shoot to kill order. That means, that means uh, you know, you have a fugitive, his picture is circulated in every post office and, and uh, uh, you identify the person by the picture, then you have the right to shoot him because it's cheaper to shoot a guy than to bring him in alive. It's a, you know, what do you call it? Like a dead or alive kind of thing. Like a dead or And that was out on me. And I came to the, to the border and I didn't have the necessary documentation and all that. It's a long story short. But when I came to the border, uh, the, the customs officer, he looked at me and said, are you Mr. Alam? I said, yes, I am. I didn't know how he knew who I was. He said, I just received a phone call instructing me not to ask you any questions. So he just stamped my passport and let me through. No, don't you, you don't believe that angels can make phone calls? You know, I, you know I've, had, I've, had other, I've had other situations like that in my life when God, you know, God has come into and saved my life and helped me. Many other situations when I can only attribute it to something supernatural. Something supernatural has happened, and those are angels, and God has sent angels. Now, you know how to get angels to work for you? Is to recognize that they're there and just thank the Father. It's a Father, I thank you. You have sent your angels to watch over me, and they're watching over me in the name of Jesus. I thank you. Now, if you acknowledge them, if you, through thanksgiving to God, angels will work on your behalf. Amen. It's important that we don't say, ah, this is spooky stuff, you know. This is not spooky. It's in the Bible. Anytime you dismiss something in the Bible as being spooky or weird, it will not work for you. But you just thank the Father for it. You say, Father, you know, you can get weird reading about books about angels and the different kinds of, don't go there. Don't go into weird, goofy stuff. But just acknowledge the fact that this verse is in the Bible and just acknowledge Thank you, Father, that your angels are ministering to me. And, and it's going to be okay. And when you do that, when you thank the Father, the angels will work. Because they have been sent. That is their job. To serve those who are heirs of salvation. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Now, let's go to chapter 2. Therefore, we ought to give the most earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels, that means he's actually talking about messengers, prophets, you can say, and every transgression and disobedience received the just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? 
which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us, to, um, uh, us, unto us by them that heard him. What is he saying? He says, because of the fact that God, although he spoke to our forefathers by the prophets, because of the fact that God has spoken to us by his son, we should really, really take this gospel seriously and give heed to the things that God is saying because in, under the old, in Old Testament times, those who disregarded the word that was spoken by prophets suffered the consequences of neglecting the word of God. How shall we, though, get away if we neglect such a wonderful salvation that is offered to us? Do you get the sense here? What he's saying is that in the Old Testament, God spoke to them through the prophets. And very often the people disregard, you know, Moses was prophesying, they just laughed at him and they worshipped golden calves and, you know, people, he says, but... But he says, we, we really, really got to get serious about this book, this Bible, the, 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 the word of God, what Jesus has done for us. Uh, you know, this whole atonement thing about how Jesus died and bore our sins and carried our diseases and this uh, uh, victory over sin and victory over disease and victory over Satan and all, you know, everything that is in the gospel, that is in the word, it is very, very important that we don't neglect it because the greatest sin today is not so much, uh, I mean, in the church, it's not so much the refusal to believe, but it's neglect. It's the neglect of the word of God. It's the neglect of this wonderful salvation that God has done for us because he says that those who disregarded the words of those prophets, they suffered the consequences. What makes us think that we will get away free if we neglect such a wonderful salvation that Jesus purchased for us by suffering and paying for it with his own blood? Now, I believe in grace and all that, but I think sometimes we can carry grace so far that we think, well, you know, God loves me anyway, and so yeah, I can, you know, I can kind of pretty much do my thing, and, and, and God understands, and it's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. There is a price to pay if we neglect this wonderful salvation that has been offered to us. That's what he's saying. It's in the Bible. I'm not trying to scare anybody. If I am, well, it's your fault, not mine. I'm just telling you what the Bible is saying. Do you understand what I'm saying? A lot of people suffer today, but people have these existentialist questions, you know, why am I suffering? And it sounds, you know, listen. Some people suffer because of the devil, but a lot of people suffer, and it's not the devil. It's because of their own neglect and total disregard of the greatness of this salvation that Jesus has purchased for us with his blood. That's why faith is important because, you know, it says in, 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 in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, it talks about that those who, who, who draw back, he says, you know, 
The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. It's an imperative. But he says, those, there are those who draw back. And when they draw back, they draw back unto destruction. But we are not of those who draw back unto perdition. We believe and so we win our souls. So there's two things we can do. We can draw back. We can know all these things and kind of pull back and do our own thing. But when we do that, there are consequences. That's why Paul, you know, well, well, they said Paul was the author, but nobody really knows. But the author of the book of Hebrews says, but you see, brothers, we are not of those who draw back. We are of those who believe and press forward. That's why when we neglect the gospel, when we neglect what Jesus has done and, 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 and we don't, you know, we, we don't build our lives around it, what happens? We suffer the consequences. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And then he talks about the importance of the salvation. Then he says, which was, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed us to, uh, uh, unto us by them that heard him. That means Jesus was the first one who preached the gospel. The message of redemption from sin, disease, from Satan, this whole thing. It was, it was Jesus who first preached the gospel and then after that his apostles confirmed it. Jesus preached it, the apostles confirmed it, and then it says, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Jesus first preached it. He tells, he's trying to reason with us and gives us all the reasons why we cannot afford to neglect it. Because says, Jesus preached it first, and then his apostles who were with him, they preached it, and then God confirmed it with signs, wonders, and miracles. And then God confirmed it further by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Right? Now, miracles, these, these miracles. You were not in India, but the very fact that you saw pictures of those, it is a sign to you that the word of God is true that Jesus is the same today, right? So the question is, the burden falls on you. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to go back home and be like you were before? Or are you going to change? Do you understand what I'm saying? The burden is on me. What am I going to do? I've seen God do miracles and, and then... You know, let me tell you something about when, when you're in a situation like this. You see all these miracles and it's a feeling of euphoria. And when it is over, you are tired. All that glory, you know, you know that feeling of euphoria goes away. And temptations come of all kinds. And the question is, what are you going to do about it? Because we don't live by feelings. Many people live by feelings. As long as the emotions are there, ooh, glory, you know, and you, you're all holy and all great, you know, when, as long as the emotions are there. But when the emotions aren't there, you are tired and you feel, you know, 
What are you going to do about it? That's the, that's the, that's the important thing. What are you going to do about it? And so that's why we, we don't neglect those things and we don't go by feelings. You know, we, we, we do it by faith because faith has nothing to do with feelings. The anointing has nothing to do with feelings. The presence of God has nothing to do with feelings. Believe me, these things have nothing. Faith, anointing, Holy Ghost. Some of us, we think it's all about feelings. You've got to feel in a certain way, then the Holy Ghost is there, you know. Uh, when people talk about move of the Spirit, there's always, listen, there is a move of the Spirit where even when nothing happens, when the Word is preached, the Holy Ghost is there because you are there and you, there are certain things you believe because they're a part of your DNA. That is the move of the Spirit because that's the time God can do anything. Amen? So he says that, that this, this wonderful thing we are talking about, this, the whole purpose why the writer of the book of Hebrews began, you know, he explained to us how great Jesus is, is to hammer this point home, is that, look, this great Jesus brought this gospel to us. And he preached it. And then his apostles who were with him, they preached it. And the Father himself gave us miracles just to knock this into our heads. That this wonderful salvation is real. And then he gave us the gifts of the Holy Spirit to prove to us that they are real. Are you with me so far? Then he says here, and I'm going to finish with this. But one in a, uh, let's, let's go to jump over verse to verse 6. But one in a certain place testified. It's actually, he's talking about David. He said in the Psalms, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visiteth him? Thou made him a low, little lower than the angels. Thou crowned him with honor, glory and honor, and did send him, set him over the works of your hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. What does he mean? He says, God, why do you invest in man? What is man? You made him his own image, but he let you down. That's what he's saying. You created him. He named all the animals. You gave him dominion. You created him in his own righteousness, but he sold out. He said, yet you are mindful of him, this fallen creature. And you even visited him. He says, you created him so great, so amazing, and you put all things under subjection to him. And, but as it looks today, we don't see all things subjection, in subjection to him. You know what I'm saying? God created us in, in his image and gave us dominion over all things. But when you look at us in reality, we don't look like we're in the image of God. And we, it doesn't look like we have all things under our feet. But then it says, but we see Jesus. 
So we don't see all things under subjection to man, but this is what we see. But we see Jesus who made a, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. He says, we don't see ourselves, but we see Jesus. That means this, all that we lost at the fall of man, all that being in the likeness of God and having dominion and power and this place of glory, all those things were given to us, but it's not seen in us, but we have it through Jesus. We don't have it in ourselves, but we have it through Jesus. That means that as long as I'm with Jesus and I'm in Christ and I'm walking with Jesus, all the things that God gave to Adam are manifested in my life through Jesus Christ. That is why it is so important for us to be in Christ, not just believe in him, but find our lives in him. Because there's a difference between believing in Jesus and living in Christ. Because just believing in Jesus is no guarantee that we will walk in victory, that we will have dominion. But if we, our lives are found in Christ, that is when we have dominion. Because Jesus is the one who came to this earth and he tasted death for every man. Then it says, for it became him for whom are all things I buy and by whom are all things. In verse 10, in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. That means we are the sons that God has brought to glory through Jesus Christ. For both he that sanctifieth, that is Jesus, and who are sanctified are all of one way for which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus calls us his brothers. They sing, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. I will sing praises unto thee, and so and so forth. Now, I want to end with this. Verse 17, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that Jesus became like us in all things, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. If priest is one who represents man before God. A prophet is one who represents God before man. That's the difference. Jesus became our high priest. That means he became our representative before the throne of God. Not only was the son of God, but by becoming one of us, he became our representative before God. So it says what he's saying, that Jesus he made reconciliation for our sins and he stands before God for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to succor, that means to provide for them that are tempted. Hallelujah. It is in Jesus. It is through him and by living our lives in him that all these wonderful promises of God, all the things that the Bible says are ours, we actually experience them as ours and they're no longer a theory. And that is why that 
The whole point is that response from us to him and not neglecting this wonderful redemption that Jesus has provided for us, this wonderful word that he has given to us. Brothers, sisters, let us not neglect it, but let us embrace it and take a hold of it and run with it. Let us not live on the fringes of Christianity. We just have our fire insurance paid up, you know. But let us live totally with Jesus. Hallelujah. Totally for Jesus. Totally committed to him. Because that is the key. Hallelujah. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.